like living in that state of like my mom could die today yep. for months and like not have any resolution is exhausting. Yep. It was just a hard space to be in, but I learned from that that like like God's close to hurting people. Yeah. Like he really is. And so that's where I feel like I've never been more aware of like how real God is was during that time in my life. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church YSM. We hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back to the Your Story Matters podcast. Every story is unique, um, but uh, the more stories that people share, the more vulnerability that's shared, um, the better the stories become. And so today uh, we've got uh, one of my favorite people with me, uh, Dylan, and I've known Dylan for a long time. Um, We've crossed paths before Collective, um, and then we accidentally became neighbors, which is a whole story for another time. (laughs) Um, But I'm thankful for Dylan and his willingness to to sit down and share his story uh, with us today. And so Dylan, you know, starting the way we, we do with every podcast Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Where did you grow up? You know, what was your family like? Um, and specifically, what was faith like in your childhood? Sure. Um, so for me, I grew up in Western Maryland. Um, it's called Garrett County. A lot of people forget it's part of Maryland. Yeah. It it doesn't want to be a part of Maryland. Yeah. It wants to be part of West Virginia. But I was like 10 minutes from the border of West Virginia, 10 minutes from the border of Pennsylvania in a small, little, little town called Biddinger. Bittinger doesn't count. It doesn't have a post office, so it's outside oh of like gosh. Grantsville, Maryland. Um, I don't know any of those places. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's really, it's really small. Um, but I grew up in a Mennonite church. Uh, I had just one sibling, my older sister. She's two years older than me. And then um, I, I just remember growing up, going to our church in the middle of nowhere. It was, it was big for a Mennonite church. Like it was probably two hundred to 250 yeah. people. Um, I was related to probably <laughs> 200 ish of them. Uh, it's just a lot of relatives in that church. So it's, we'd go every Sunday. I remember getting later into life, like start playing music there. They did a lot of hymns, but like piano was an acceptable instrument. So that's kind of how I got into piano. Um, my dad played stand up bass. My sister learned oh, cool. acoustic guitar and my mom sang. So we wow. would sometimes do worship. Um, worship for the church when I got a little older, but, um, yeah, so that was, that was kind of just like as a early, early childhood for me. Um, when I got, when I was in third grade, that was when I was going to public school and my dad was on his way home late one night and he was hit by a drunk driver and he broke both his legs. Um, he had to get, he has like metal all in his legs right now. And that was like a really, hard time of my life. I was little, so I didn't quite understand it, but it was, 
really impactful. I remember going to sleep and waking up. My grandma was at our house. Mm. Um, and so like for my house, like, it was like, we were really remote. It was us. And then my parents built my grandma, like a house, like right next to us. And then I could see like maybe two houses like wow. off on the ridge from my home. So like we lived on, I think at one point my parents had like 15 acres. Wow. So it was like, I'm isolated. We're in the middle of nowhere. We are, Bittinger is like, like Western Maryland gets the most snow in Maryland. Bittinger gets the most snow in Kerr wow. County. So like we're in this like little isolated pocket in the mountain that would get like just dumped on every winter with tons of snow. So but we're also in the middle of nowhere. Um, my closest relatives, I had some, uh, an uncle and aunt, they lived next by, next door. Um, I guess next door is about a mile away. Yeah, there was yeah. a walking path. And we had a four-wheeler growing up, so when I was a little older, I'd take that over, and they had four boys that were okay. all in my age group. So that's most of my social life was spending time with them. But it would have been, after my dad's accident, my parents decided my fourth grade year to homeschool me and my sister. Yeah. So I was living in the middle of nowhere, and my only community was the Mennonite church that I would go to on Sundays and see my cousin sometimes. And then my dad had his accident. Like, he didn't die, and I'm really thankful he didn't die. But the reality is, like, he was just trying to figure out his life. Sure. Um, I remember, like, he was in a hospital bed in our living room growing up. Wow. There was a large period where, like, I remember, and he was in a lot of pain. So, like, they would do physical therapy, and my parents, like, put, tell me I'd go to the basement or go upstairs, but I could still hear him, like, in pain from the physical therapy that he was doing. So, like, my childhood was especially when I was homeschooled, like I just remember like a lot of alone time and like my parents were trying to figure out my dad. Yeah. My sister and I were the age where like, <laughs> she's your sibling, but you're yeah. like not super close. So like, I spent a lot of time, like I do my homework and then play video games, read books, yeah. do puzzles. I got a computer chess game. So I got like really into chess when I was a little kid. So it's just like, that was a large part of my like early years from like, when I was born to like middle school, um, we did, like I had a lot of relatives. Like I, I have like 30 cousins. Wow. <laughs> Most of them were within like a 20 minute drive for me. It's okay. so like every Sunday we'd go to my grandma and grandpa's house and just kind of like have Sunday lunch into dinner. I mean, they would just kind of like cook at lunch and leave the food out yeah. all day and you'd stay till evening and go home. So was your, was your dad a part of, was he able to be a part of those things? In a wheelchair for a lot of it. Like he was, so my dad was physically around and he would kind of like, I remember him like doing stuff with us and it's hard for me to remember exact age where, because I remember by the time I was like eighth grade, we did a trip out West with my family. I remember that one pretty vividly. Yeah. And my dad was a part of that, but it's from the age of like eight to like 10 is like really, really blurry for me. And I just remember him being in a lot of pain and not really able to like, do a lot of stuff with us. Like, I think he was always there, but he was like, he was struggling with his own stuff. And also, like, the pain medication that they gave him was helping with the pain, but then it was, like, when he was trying to get off the pain medication, like, he was going through withdrawal, essentially. Yeah. And so he was, like, just in pain and angry, like, yeah. honestly. So it was my relationship with my dad, I feel like, especially for those years, kind of, like, broke. Yeah. There, like, I'd go like weeks at a time, uncles and aunts' house, my yeah. mom and dad were figuring out what they were going to be doing. Um, so that that was a lot of that <clears throat> that period of my life with me. Like we went to church every week, Sunday school, 
sermons that I don't remember. Yeah. I remember getting yeah. in trouble for being too noisy during the <laughs> yeah. sermons. So like when I was a little old, like towards the end of elementary school, I think my uncle that I went to all the time, his house, he became a preacher there. So they didn't okay. have like an on-staff full-time pastor. They had three pastors that they would like split the teaching between. Interesting. Okay. Um, and so my uncle was one of them. And so like I'd always sit in the front row with my cousin. But like, I remember one time he was like praying and we like flicked a rock and it like landed we we're trying to hit him and it's distract good. him yeah, but good. it like landed on the microphone instead and like you'd hear like rolling down the pulpit and uh you know we used to get in trouble a yeah. lot <laughs> like i have visions in my head of what mennonites are closely related to amish community amish culture you know for people who are church history nerds it, it comes from this branch of what's called like anabaptist mennonite um maybe you've heard of churches like quakers yep. friends churches there's a church uh, denomination called people like it's all kind of in this same Germanic kind of you know sure. break away from the church but people often have a weird caricature in their head that you guys are like raising barns together yeah um did you raise barns no, together? I, okay, okay I've been asked someone's like did you make your own clothes yeah and I like looked at my clothes I was like yes <laughs> I'm very good at it or like they asked me if I'm allowed to wear deodorant yeah I've gotten those questions for so like yeah. and there are Mennonites who are that strict so sure. like on the spectrum of like super Mennonite, it's like Amish to like collective. This one was probably <laughs> around like with the collective being a 10 and Amish being a one, this was like around a four. Okay. Okay. And so you could have like Mennonite churches that were like a three or a two or a one. Sure. And those were ones like you would see them wearing like the big head coverings, yep. the homemade dresses, yep. sketchers. Um, <laughs> those like Which are whole, practically homemade. Those are basically homemade. Uh, those are like the holiest pairs of shoes. Uh, so I remember... The church I was going to used to be more like a three, yeah. and over time it came like a four. Because I remember like, like all the older women in my church wore head coverings. Okay, but like my mom's age, it was kind of fifty fifty. Okay, and by the time it was like my sister was um, like getting baptized and becoming a member of the church, uh, she did not wear one. Okay, so it was like no one did. So it's like they were kind of transitioning a little bit. Um, so they used to be a lot more conservative, but yeah. culturally, you know, what would be the biggest difference between, and we know collective is like a, uh, a little bit more on the extreme side of what we do is unique and creative and sometimes uncomfortable, like as we push on those things. So like thinking less of, you know, the, the crazy things that we do as a church, like grocery store buyout, but thinking more of like worship and, you know, Sunday morning service and like sacraments and stuff like that. Where did, where does the Mennonite church kind of stack up with that? You said you, they did worship. There was a band, uh, you know, later there okay. was a band. they started off like it used to just be hymns. And then it would be like hymns and come into a piano. And then it was like, like the piano I played wasn't plugged in for a long time. I played like a stand up piano. Okay. And then by the time I would have been like end of, I guess, early high school, they were starting to be like, all right, there's a band. Yeah. Um, actually, I think early middle school, because I got baptized when I was 11, because okay. that was the age you did it. Yep. Back then, like, everyone got baptized at 11. Uh, and they had a worship band, because we were allowed to pick oh, the nice. song we wanted. Nice. And, and this kind of, it, it, it's funny, because like, it's, it, it's a different conversation than people who grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. But it's a good question to ask anyways. What was the conversation regarding Jesus and kind of the Holy spirit, right? Because that's, you know, for people who grew up Catholic, a lot of times they step out of it, they end up at a church like collective and they go, Oh my gosh, 
I never thought this was relational. You know, I thought it was like cultural. I thought it was like all about morality, which like, obviously like we want to have good morals. We want to like not sin, but like there's a relationship aspect to it. So in the Mennonite church kind of, where does that stack up? So the Mennonite church was like, I always talk about like Catholic guilt. I was like, I feel like Mennonite guilt would rival it. Like it really would. It's a, it's very much about making sure you do the right things. Hmm. Okay. There was a lot of like shaming culture in my opinion. Like it didn't come out that way. Like it's one of those things where it's like, it wasn't something that was obviously like, yeah, this is like really like they're really like shaming us. Like they don't bring people out and call them out on stage. Sure. It's just more like a lot of the message you got was don't like, don't do that. But there wasn't a, what if I am doing that? Like, how do I get help? Like, um, I remember someone got divorced in the church and they just got excommunicated from the church and stuff like that, where it's like, if you do mess up, the solution is you leave. Yeah. And so it's like, it kind of encourages people not to be vulnerable and kind of just like, everyone's like, yeah, things are going great. Like when, like, like when my dad has accident, that was like not a sin thing. That was bad thing in life happened. They're very supportive. Okay. Cause it's like not your fault, but if it's your fault, sin, there was like, to me, there was like no support. Sure. And it was a lot of like, you read the Bible to know more about the Bible in order to know more about the Bible. Like somehow like that knowledge is just going to be the thing that makes you a better person somehow. And it kind of seemed like the end goal is like personal, like being good, which there are a lot of religions and cultures out there where the end goal is like being a good person. Sure. So to me, like that was kind of the thing, but it kind of came through like, you will be obedient because if you're not, the consequences are severe. Yeah. And it's like, I understand like, you know, we know the consequence of sin is severe, but then there's also the, like the peer pressure of yep. messing up is also severe. And so like, that's like what I left my church feeling was just like a r- real heavy, like shame. God's constantly disappointing me. God is just like up there shaking his head like, man, like Dylan screwed up yeah. so much. And it's like, it's not a healthy viewpoint. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and I imagine too, cause one of the, one of the good things about the Mennonite community is the community, yep. right? Like it, it very much is a family, but that might also be one of the bad things about it is like, yes. if you are struggling with something, it's not like between you and God in yep. that culture, it's between you and God and everybody, everybody else, else who, yep is your family, like your actual blood family plus, yep. you know, kind of church family culture. So going back to your dad, you know, when he's going through all this, you know, what is, what is faith like? Um, cause at some point, obviously, you know, this isn't a spoiler. People are listening to you on the podcast. At some point you leave the Mennonite church. So what was that like? What was your faith like during that season? Did you wrestle with faith or was it just like, yeah, I'm, you know, God's here and my dad's, Struggling. Yeah, I think it was that one because it's kind of like, like you go to church, go to Sunday school. Like they, like they have it all planned out. Like this is what you do, and so I was like, you go to church, you go to Sunday school. Um, when you turn ten, you do a one year, like, membership, baptism class. So instead of going to Sunday school, you go to baptism class. Gotcha. And you do that for a year. Um, they did have you memorize like core scriptures that were, like, it was good. Like I memorized um, scripture through that that has stuck with me over time. But then at the end of the day, you get baptized. And then I, I got sprinkled. You had the choice of getting dunked in the lake or sprinkled, most choose sprinkled. And I chose that too. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I love when you get baptized and you're like, cool, like I got baptized. This is what I do. Um, 
in the summers they would go to like this farm and do like a youth week kind of thing and like at that time I started to play in the band like I'd taken piano lessons uh, when I was homeschooled and so I learned piano and I like figured out how to do chording kind of play by ear a little bit so I um, I would play in the worship band like so my cousins I was saying earlier they had four sons my uncle had four sons and two of my cousins there they played a lot of instruments so they learned drums guitar bass stuff like that so the three of us would almost always like start the band of like okay well at least I'll play piano these two can sing or play guitar or drums yeah. and my sister would usually sing so we kind of would do a lot of like the worship stuff at these events um which I always liked so it's kind of like yeah I like I like playing these worship songs like I got baptized this is all I knew at this point so I'm like you know this is what I do and in middle school you could start going to youth group on Friday nights so I started going to youth group Friday nights, and they would do also there. They want people to play music, so we'd rotate out. He did that, so it's kind of like homeschool Monday through Thursday. Friday go to you know youth group. Saturday I don't know, probably played soccer or something. I played a lot of soccer, um, and then Sunday go to church, and you just kind of rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat, and that was just kind of life. So it's like I feel like I was in it, and again like. With Mennonites, a lot of it to me feels like it's a culture more than yeah. a church. Where yeah. it's like, this is your culture. At least that's what it feels to me. Yeah. It's like you are culturally Mennonite. I don't really know in terms of like a relationship with Jesus that leads to a lot of action, like what sure. that looks like in your life. But you sure. are going to church, but that's also part of your culture is you go yep. to church. So yep. that was just where I was at for a lot of my middle school years. Yeah. Well, and one of the things too is like, when you turn a certain age, culturally, everybody gets baptized while there is a class. And, there, you know, it's not just like, you know, it's the beginning of the new year. If you're 11, come up here. But there is also that pressure of like, hey, you have to do this. Yeah. And there's this pressure specifically, f which would be for your parents of like, what happens if the kids don't do this? You know, and a lot of the people who've shared their stories who have a church background, will say like, I'm, I'm thankful that I had a church background, but it was like misunderstanding of the relationship side. It was like, yeah, it's yeah. what we did. You know, yeah. there's a lot of this, just what we do. And I feel like in the Mennonite church, it's even more so, you know, especially in Garrett County yeah. where it's kind of all of it. Um, yeah. There's a is, lot of Mennonite tough. Amish community out that way. It's yeah. like my, my grandparents, they're like, the language they speak to each other is Pennsylvania Dutch. Oh, interesting. They don't, the English is not their primary language. Wow. Yeah. So what was it like with your dad? Like you mentioned it a little bit earlier that they supported and cared for you guys. Well, did you feel like the church wise, like how did that feel? Did they rally? Well, was there good community there? Like yeah. did, what were the good things that came from that? Yeah. So the community was really supportive. And again, like, I'm related to most of the community. Yeah, yeah. Also, so it's family. <laughs> yeah, but they double dip. They were really supportive. I mean, that was the pros of being in such a tight knit community is that when someone when something happens to someone, they do rally around them. Yeah. And so like I had a lot of support, a lot of people checking in on us. Um like we get a ton of snow out there in Garrett County. And so like they would send someone over and plow our lane out after every storm. Wow. Because we had we have like a quarter mile long lane. And after my dad has accidents, like, if we got snowed in, like, I was eight. I'm not going to go get in the tractor yeah. and plow out the lane. Yeah. Um, they were just kind of there. Like, yeah. um, like, I never 
had to worry about like what's gonna happen like will I have someone there to support me like to meet my physical needs and it's like I will say like that was great I remember a lot of times like my uncle would pick me up take me to McDonald's and take me to the hospital when my dad was in the hospital and he would do that all the time and it's stuff like that where it's like that was just really great to have that and I'll always be so thankful for that part of the community um so like they were around they were really supportive um but like I think really back to the church to me it's like when you talk about the parable of like the 99 Jesus leaves 99 with the one to me it feels like they're like we made a really nice fence it's a really nice pasture it's super cool and you're welcome to join it sure if you show if you come here yeah but not the like we're gonna go find that lost sheep kind of mentality so like as one of the people in that in that fence you're like this is kind of a nice yeah yeah like yeah like they uh people checked in on me all the time the thing that I struggled a lot with my relationship with my dad is that I, f- I felt like he was trying to go back to when I was eight. Sure. And I don't blame him. For him, he missed out on a lot. My friends who have kids around that age that I was, and to think about that happening to them and missing out on that time with their sons, like, I get it. But as a 13, 14-year-old, yeah. it was like, what are you doing? It's like we fought a lot around that age like you need your dad like I didn't have my dad like show me how to do things and then I got homeschooled so something that I struggled with like independence like I was really scared to go do things on my own like my parents like go to the store or they like like hey I want you I'm gonna drop you off here go do that I'm gonna do this and let's meet back up I was like no I don't want to do anything by myself and so like I also feel like there was a part of it as my dad's kind of like what is up with my son sure like why is he such especially in the you know, Garrett County, it's like you just be like rub dirt on it, yeah. on everything, your feelings, your yeah. anything that hurts. So it's like I feel like there was definitely a tension of like, man, like what, like I'm not who my dad thought I am in any sense because he thinks I'm younger than I am, but at the same time he thinks I should be tougher than I am. Sure. And like my dad might say like that is not how I felt, but that's what how I felt. Sure. At, yep. at that age, it was just like man, like I just can't be the right person at this yeah. age. So it was like. That was really hard, but that's when my dad started to come around. That's like what I remember parts of my dad being really present again was like end of middle school, early high school. Okay. Um, another thing we did was, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, it's called Bible quizzing. <laughs> no. no. Okay. <laughs> so it's basically like you memorize parts of the Bible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like a yeah, competition. Yeah. So yeah. like everyone's on like a pressure pad and you have like teams of four. And then they'll start asking a question and like the first one to come off their pressure pad has to like answer the question and you get points. I, I was like really good at it, but I remember sp- like specifically being at the end of middle school because it's only for like middle school and high school. They have two different groups. Like I like won it for like the m- end of middle school, and my dad was there. Yeah. For some reason, that's like one of those core memories that like sure. burned into my brain. So like, I know he was there for that, but I don't really remember him being there before that. And he might have been, but it wasn't yep. like really ingrained in me yet. Our fathers are so important to us and it's not that they have to be perfect. Right. And as you have a young child at home and you know, I'm, I'm raising two not as young kids anymore, you feel that pressure all the time and it's not to be perfect, but it is to be present. Right. And that lack of presence or the lack of conversation specifically in men, it sucks. And when our dads aren't around to teach us how to shave, to teach us yeah. how to 
change a tire. Like these things that like we feel like as men, I've got to know how to do these things. But then there's this expectation of you need to know how to do these things. Yep. It's like, I just, I want to learn. Like, and maybe I'm not a tire guy, but like, you know, <laughs> take the time to show me these things. And that's tough. And, you know, when you grow up and you have that experience in, in elementary and middle school, high school is hard, right? It's really hard when you don't have kind of that confidence of your father, like standing behind you. And again, like it wasn't something that your dad chose to have happen to him, yep. you know, like life did this, like, this is not, you didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. It's just, this is what life does. It's yep. hard. But because of that, there's this gap. Yeah. Right. And there's this, there's this void that you're feeling as you get older. Yeah. Right. And you really start to wrestle with that as you get into to high school and beyond. Yeah. So. I feel like if he had like died, it'd be like, oh, I just remember all these happy memories of my dad as a kid. Sure. But like trying to be like, well, he's still here, but it's, he's kind of not here for a large part. And then wrestling, like, how do we have a relationship now? Like that was really complicated, especially for how, like how young I was. And it's not like I grew up in a community where like talking about emotions yep. was like yeah. a normal thing. Yep. It was like, you just kind of like grit your teeth, clench yeah. your fists and like get through it. And that's just kind of like toughness. It's just getting through it. And yeah. it's like, like I, I don't think I worked through a lot of that until I was like much, much older. Sure. At that point, like when your dad's in a hospital bed in the living room, whether or not someone said it to you or that's the expectation you felt or other people put on you, like you're the man of the house, right? And you didn't ask for that. You know, you became uniquely aware as you got older of that, of that tension of like, hey, I feel these things and hey, I'm struggling with these things and I've got these complex emotions and you know, I feel fear and I feel worry and, you know, there's insecurities. And for you, the one thing I know about your story is in high school specifically, those things collided again. Yeah. So like your dad is healthier, he's around more, but there's all like the, that few year gap and that few years of, of the trauma has led to kind of this collision course in high school for you, which also then didn't get easier. I was homeschooled through eighth grade, and then I went back to high school in ninth grade. Got on the public school bus, which, Garrett County, it's uh, elementary school through high school on one bus. And it's just like, it was just a mess of a, of a school bus. Just honestly, there was so much just horrible stuff that went on that bus, but I don't need to get to that. But it was like a huge wake-up call. Um, I also had this feeling of like, I was only allowed, like the only place I could feel safe with people was in Mennonite world. So everyone else was like unsafe to me when I first went to school. So like I had a really hard time making friends. Uh, I did join the soccer team. So that, that helped. But even that was like, what the heck did I just get myself <laughs> into? Uh, I had a really hard time making friends. And like in high school, like Beitzel was a really common name. There are lots of Beitzels. Even like there are even two different groups of Beitzels. So there's oh the Beitzels gosh. that I'm not even related to except for like, maybe fourth, fifth cousins. Sure, sure. And then the bites was that I'm like first cousins with. Yeah. And like in high school, people would be like, what's wrong with you? Like, aren't you a bites? You're supposed to be like, sure. More social. You're supposed yeah. to be like just better as a yeah. person. Wow. Um, Cause they were usually like pretty popular. Like most bites were, I don't know. Like, I don't know what it was. Like people so, just yeah. liked them, but I was like yeah. not one of those bites. Yeah. And so I wasn't, well liked I didn't make a lot of friends and I got bullied a lot for it and so it's like I mean I was coming in like homeschooled Mennonite I was really nerdy because I got like really like chests and stuff like that so it's like a triple threat of like this kid's such a weirdo um 
And I was a redneck. So it's like, there were a lot, like the groups were like, you got like Amish, not Amish, like you got Mennonites, you got the band kids, which I kind of wish now I would have joined them. And then you got like rednecks. Yeah. And like most of my school is like rednecks. Wow. And like, not like some people are like, oh yeah, country. It's like, no, like you don't understand how, like how different it is. Yeah. Um, so it was just one of those things where like me trying to fit in there, like it just was a complete mess. Yeah. So like I had really low self-esteem through high school and I was just kind of like, I just got to get through this. So, but like even then, like a lot of things in high school, you go to like Friday night football game. We had youth group on Friday night. We didn't go oh, to football yeah. games. Like I was never there. So I'd be like just this kid that would show up Monday through Friday in school and then not do anything else. Sure. So it's like, High school is really tough. I did end up joining the, robot, the robotics team, which is on brand. Yeah. Uh, and that was really good. So I just kind of decided, like, I'm just going to focus on my education. Like, I realized pretty early that, like, the way I get out yeah. is through an education. Yeah. If I get an education, if I do well in high school, I can get to a college. If I do well in college, I can get a good, like, degree, get a good job, I can live anywhere I want. Yeah. So I kind of just said, I'm just going to put my head down and do classes. Yeah and stuff like that so i made a few i did make a few like really good friends in high school they're like a few people are also kind of like but they weren't my cousins they weren't my cousins i had two cousins that were my age but they didn't take the like advanced classes yeah we had a couple honors we had like three ap classes but they they didn't so i wasn't in class with them but there were a couple kids that are also like a little more reserved and weren't like any like popular at all either so i kind of made friends with them one of my teachers was someone who retired from the DC area, moved to Garrett County because he wanted to be by the lake. And he was like, I'm going to teach. And so he taught uh, calc physics and a couple of like, engineering courses. So I took all the stuff with him and he was great. I, that teacher was really amazing. He was the one who helped me get a scholarship to go to a university out of Garrett County. So I really owe a lot to him. And then one other teacher also liked chess. So he started a little chess club with me and like two other kids That's so funny. like I could get away a little bit because during the school day you could do like like three days a week you could do a club activity so I just go to a chess club with cool. with that teacher yeah. so there were a couple like really bright spots for me that is like all right but for the most part I really really did not like high school yeah yeah and toward the end of high school it got worse yeah so I guess dur- so during high school I started you know I, I played a lot of piano and church worship stuff and then started making more friends who were musically inclined. And then I think it would have been around 10th grade. We formed a screamo band. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I'd play like synth and strings and I screamed. It was like not good. I learned a lot through it. But anyway, the important thing is the band members, like some of them went to the church I grew up in. The other ones, like he knew someone who was going to this other church, the other two guys who were going to this other church. So this is where like, I started really wrestling with faith because I was like really in a low point in yeah. high school. And I think it would have been going into my senior year. So it would have been after my junior year. I was talking to him like, I think I'm going to try going to this other church. I had gotten my license around then. Like some, somewhere in there I got my license. And so my parents were like, you can go whatever church you want. Yeah, they were cool with that. They were okay with it. They yeah. were like, all right, but as long as it's, um, as long as you're going to church, we're happy, which I did appreciate. My parents... One thing I will give them like a lot of benefit for is their push to be independent. So like, I mean, I had to get a job the day after my birthday. I got a job actually when I was 13, I worked on a horse farm that was nearby. I took the four wheeler over to it, clean out the stalls when I was 13, do that three days a week at like 
five in the morning wow. and get 20 bucks. And it's like, my parents are like, you need to do something. Yeah. So like, they've always put a good work ethic in me and independence. They're very much like, when I hit that age, the rule is like, you just have to let us know where you're staying by midnight. If you're not home by midnight, I need to know like whose friend's house you're at. Sure. They essentially like, you're an adult, uh, well, not really adult, but like you're like starting to get independent, but like we'll be your safety net. Yeah. But like you need to figure things out for yourself a little bit before, because they knew I was going away to college. So like once you're at college, we can't do anything. Right. Um, to control you, so it's like they were really good at giving independence. So I started going to a different church, and um, like I went to this church because I was going to my friends. I went to their youth group a couple of times, but like, it's like at the time in high school, like everyone's watching pornography. Like it was, the internet was starting to become a thing. It was so readily available. You'd just be like, you know, checking your email and a pop-up would pop up. And so it was something that was like really prevalent. I remember like at my old church, I went to this youth camp and the speaker got up there and he made this thing of like, according to statistics, there was like um, one out of every six guys are looking at porn. Yeah. And then afterwards, we're standing in a friend circle. And this one guy's like, there are six of us here, which means one of one of us is the one. Yeah. I remember me being like, I'm that one. Yeah. Like, I am this like horrible person. Like I later found out all six of us. Yes. <laughs> were the yeah, one. yeah. The statistic of was like, I don't know where they came with that statistic. Yeah, but, not even close. The stat now is that 97% of men have looked at porn at some point in their life. And anytime I share that, I say the other 3% are lying. Yeah. You know, and... But to, to be, you know, in that place of feeling like one out of six, I'm the yeah, only one in that I'm circle. One. I'm the I'm the screwed up one. Yeah. And so that was at my old church. And so then when I started getting with these band guys, the other two guys were like pretty open talking about like how they're working hard to not look at porn anymore yeah. and that they're trying to read their Bible more. And to me, I was like, this is different. Yeah. It really is. And so I was like, I want to go to your youth group they'd have a time where the guys would break off and they would just be like, Hey, like who here struggling? And that was the first time I was like, I could actually tell someone like, I've been struggling with this for years. Probably most of my high school, there were like times where I'd be like, I'm going to stop, but then kind of roll into it, get back into it. And it was like, that was a real struggle for me in high school and a source of like a ton of shame. I felt horrible. And like, I remember also my old church, like this lady would get up and she was saying like, God talked to me and he told me that there are men in this church who are like looking at porn. And if you don't stop, then like, he's going to like destroy this church. Wow. And I'm sitting there as like 14, 15 year old, like, it's me. I'm going to destroy this church. And it's like, (laughs) I had so much shame around that. And then going to a church where like, they talked about it. This is also a church where earlier I mentioned that there was, um, a couple got divorced and they were like kicked out of the church. The wife moved away, but the husband ended up going to this church. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, okay, I kind of like this. Like, this is a thing where someone who's, like, struggling can still be a part of it and figure out, like, what does life look for me now? Yeah. I was really thankful for that church. I'm so thankful for that youth pastor specifically who was very much, like, I knew that pornography is such a dangerous route to go down yeah. and help me like at that time say like this is how we're going to draw the line in the sand yeah. for you and it was um it was really impactful for me i think that has set me up for a lot of success down the road so i was involved in this youth group starting to go to that like my senior year driving to that and i was actually like i was really enjoying it i was in my screamo band we're doing good <laughs> things um and then the summer before my senior year 
middle of nowhere, not much to do. We decided to do a challenge where we wanted to read the Bible over the summer, front to back. Wow. All of us together every night. And that was something that like has still impacted me today. And yeah. it was like, I don't know why we did it. A lot of it was just boredom, to be honest, sure. back then. But that church, like they had something that was like, like I was searching and I was like, maybe I should give this a try. So I, I kind of leaned in during that period of my life. Yeah. And I'm really thankful I did. And I felt, like, I don't know how to explain it, but I felt God was like really pulling at me during that time. Um, I felt a lot of freedom being able to be like, hey, here's my sin that I've been bottling up. I think like I'm end of middle school, early high school is where you kind of, I feel like shame like really started to set yeah. in for me. And I could like kind of feel free. Cause I remember like reading a lot about Jesus. Um, I did a lot of Bible reading in Mennonite and it's like, it didn't feel freeing. Yeah. Like it mm-hmm. just didn't. I remember like, I still remember there's like this sermon where someone was talking about like, if someone repents like right before they die, do they go to heaven? Sure. There's a lot of debating Mennonite stuff. Like, yeah. does this person go to heaven? Does that person wow. go to heaven? Um, and people were like, yeah. And I remember th- thinking like, I'm kind of jealous of that person. Like they sure. didn't have to do all this their sure. whole life. Yeah. Um, cause I was like, this isn't freeing. This is prison. Yeah. This is how I felt. Um, how I felt growing up. This wow. is just like shame. But now that I know about it, I can't walk away. And if I do walk away, then I go to hell or like deny myself what I want on earth long enough that it gets me into heaven. Was sure. kind of the way I thought about it. So going to a church where like I actually feel free was really great. So I wanted more of that. So that's why we read the Bible this summer and then started school senior year and then senior year. I was working at, uh, it's called spring stores, like a little Mennonite store that my uncle owned in Springs, Pennsylvania after school. And I was working there and my uncle walked in same one. He used to take me as a, when I was younger to the hospital and he walked in and was like, Hey, uh, you need to come with me. So I was like, okay. So like the hospital was in Morgantown, West Virginia. Okay. So it's like 45 minutes away, but there's like never a reason to drive that way. Yeah. Unless you're going to Morgantown. Sure. And so I was very much like, what are we doing? And he's like, Hey, um, you just have to wait for your parents. They want to tell you. And they take me to the hospital where my mom's like, I have leukemia. And it's uh, very aggressive. That's just a gut punch. Yeah. But I also felt like, I felt like there was a pool in the beginning of the summer where God's like, you can lean in and like you should lean in because you're going to need it. Wow. And I was really thankful for that. I really was because like I leaned in harder into that, into my friends um, that I made at that new church and um, leaned into God more during that time. But it was like a really dark time because it's like I'm trying to finish up school, trying to apply for college, trying to focus on that, but also like, like they made it pretty clear, like, hey, we're gonna try some aggressive treatment, but like any one of these treatments could push your mom over the edge. Yeah. During that period, I just remember like a lot of stress, trying to keep up with my classes. I was still working a job after school. I was really thankful for that church I was going to and like the friends I had there. I made some really good friends and, um they always mean a lot to me. But then in December, my mom, they, they're like, chemo isn't working, nothing's working, we're gonna try a bone marrow transplant. At the time, it was pretty new. They said, typically, you'll get a year, and then it'll still catch up to you, maybe two. Uh, they said, if you get past two, you're in the like 99 percentile, sure. and you'll probably make it for who knows how long, because not many people make it past two years. That was the first time I was like, okay, like this is, um, like, I feel like God's working in this. Yeah. So they went ahead of the transplant 
And so then when they had a transplant, my mom had to stay in a hospital again for like a month or two. My dad, they had her, gave her apartment down there. So my dad was basically living there. So I was by myself for like a couple of months, um, my senior year of high school. And so it's like a lot of complications with it, but slowly things were looking better and better. And so she's able to come home. You know, I finished up my school year and went off to college. So it was... Uh, but it's just like this weird thing where it's, again, it's like my dad, like he, like my mom didn't die, but living in a space where it's like, you're in the headspace of like, I'm trying to prepare for like, if she does, and it could be any day, but also I want to hold out hope that she doesn't. Right. And there's like this weird thing of like, like mentally preparing to lose your parent, your senior year of high school. She was able to come to my graduation. Wow. I feel like if she had died, people would be like, oh yeah, that was like a really tragic moment. Sure. But it was like, well. It was, a, it was a very near miss, yeah. And but it still left a big impact on me. We, we have this tendency, and I would even throw the church under the bus, we have this tendency in the church to downplay the pain that people feel or the brokenness that people experience or the voids that are created during those seasons when the outcome is good. We have to acknowledge like the difficulty of the valley, yep. right? Not just the shadow of death, you know? And, and yep. we tend to, to kind of downplay that hard stuff in the middle because the outcome was good and the outcome was good. Yeah. But at the same time, like your senior year, you know, you're trying to leave. Yep. But you also has a mom, have a mom who has leukemia. Yeah. I quit soccer that year. So like Tuesday, Thursday, I usually drove to Morgantown, West Virginia after school. Yeah. Cause it's like, well, I gotta go do this. And like living, like living in that state of like, my mom could die today for months and like not have any resolution is exhausting yep it was just a hard space to be in but i learned from that that like like god's close to hurting people yeah like he really is and so that's where i feel like i've never been more aware of like how real god is was during that time in my life and it stuck with me you know both your parents are very lucky to be alive but it doesn't take away the pain the thing that god does is he can turn it into something good and so god through that group of friends, you know, without you fully understanding it at the time is starting to redeem a lot of those things. And then you end up going to college kind of in a good place, all things considered of like, you know what you want. I went to UMBC. So my options were College Park, which was larger than my entire county. And I was overwhelmed. So then I went to UMBC, which is like 12,000 people, which is like half to a third of the amount of people in my entire county. So even like UMBC was like, kind of a shock but yeah. I also went to it because like it's not a, it's like known for being nerdy it was also a bit closer so I moved into the dorms going home like every weekend on campus I was trying to find a good Christian group on campus yeah the first one I went to I thought it was cool and then they took me to a worship night in Georgetown and it got very weird very fast yeah it got like people screaming on the floor and I was told I was demon possessed because the spirit wasn't entering me. And like the other, so the second church I went to in Garrett County was still Mennonite. It's just on the scale of like one to 10, they've been like a six. Yeah. They're getting closer, but they're still like pretty far down there. So then I tried, I found crew, uh, Crusades for Christ. Um, When I went my freshman year, they were super clicky because they were like, we don't really care about new people. Like at the time I was like, I really need some friends that I can be honest with about like life and what I'm struggling with. And this is a big transition point in my life. And then in the spring, that's where uh, I met a kid named Garrett who's in some of my engineering classes. And then he's like, well, I'm going to this church plant called Mosaic. They're in media movie theater. 
And again, I'm like, I don't know what church looks like. I tried a couple big churches on Sundays when I did stay in the area, but again, most weekends I went home. Yeah. So this semester I was like, I'm going to try to find church for most of my spring semester freshman year. And Mosaic um, was kind of where I found church that I love. And the first couple times I heard Carl preach, the first thought I had was like, am I being deceived? Because this feels so different than what I'm used to. And maybe it's like, I, I legit thought like maybe Satan's like, presenting church this way sure. and it looks nice i'm just being tricked but then i would like take what carl preached on go back and read it myself and do a little research myself and i was like yeah like i agree with carl yeah like, it feels this, right. this feels right and i love their passion for what they're trying to do spring semester freshman year i was still going home a lot yeah. um and then i went home for the summer yeah so it's like all right all summer yeah. long wasn't really there and then i came back in the fall i uh, said so try crew again and this is where crew is a different this time so there's one person from crew who again like when i think about specific people who've made a big impact in my life his name was christian libden he reaches out to me again in the semester and is like you should come to crew and so i started going back and got really involved and i leaned in more mosaic and mosaic was where i saw like this is how you can do church really really well yeah and crew is like hands-on uh so then the rest of my college like, i spent with a couple of my really good friends and a lot of them were my groomsmen and stuff like that and Almost all of them go to Mosaic still. Like I'm really, those are really fond times in my life. Yeah. What was that like, faith wise, when it comes to like your relationship with Jesus, like being around these things? Did you have conflict with that, where you're like wrestling with your past and what you were experiencing, or was it like, you know, that breath of fresh air, like that cool breeze, where you're like, this, like this is what I've been longing for. You know, like, how did that change for your own personal faith, being sure. in those two things? I struggle with a lot of self-confidence. So for me, it's, like, more like I'm willing to do the work, but, like, I don't want to be the one making decisions. Like, yeah. I don't want to be the one leading things. Like, I'll support whoever's leading things, but don't make me be the one who did it, which at Mosaic was great. So Mosaic was me. I'd show up, play piano, and get to be a part and, like, see all this great life change. I'm like, this is awesome. And I'm, like, a part of it in my own, like, little way. Yeah. Um, with crew, Mennonite was so ingrained in me. And we're thinking like, man, like all these people seem to have such a real faith. Like it can't be like just Mennonite is the way. Cause I wrestled with going to a non-denominational sure. church. I sure. was like, maybe I should have a denomination. But then I was thinking like, I feel like that's just doesn't make sense. Cause basically saying like all these people here who weren't Mennonite, I'm the only one, all of them are wrong. And I'm yeah. the only one who got it right. And it's like, no, like I, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Um, especially with like, Christian lived in was a guy who he was raised in a really healthy church um, and he knew the impact it could have and he chose to go to college and like he just had a really good heart and was like I want to help people and like I was one of those people was like I'm lost like in this yeah. new college and he kind of anchored me he was the result of a good church yeah and it's like I can see the good that it does and like I want to create that however I can yeah um Christian then like graduated. And so this is like where I got, like once they left, there was like a new influx of people. And this is where I got really frustrated with the, I realized like church leadership can be really messy. Yep. Um, I know Johnny on his earlier podcast talked about crew. And so Johnny came in as I was kind of going out, I was like, man, I'm tired of fighting. So I was like, you know what? I'm kind of done. And at the time, like Mosaic was really ramping up. At the time I was like emceeing, I was, doing a lot of the behind the scenes band stuff. My roommate, Steven, he led worship. So we kind of said, let's stop doing this college thing 
and like let's let's just double down on mosaic yeah so that, that's kind of what we did even at a christian college we had that issue that you guys were having you know going back to the parable of the lost sheep christians do have this tendency of once they find jesus once they find the good things of jesus and safety they go i don't want to shake this up yeah and there's nothing in the gospels that says jesus didn't come to shake this up and make christians feel uncomfortable and Meanwhile, you're at a church that's saying, let's be or uncomfortable and let's seek discomfort all the time. And you were like, let's lean into that. Like just so much good, like so much good is happening. It's like, I want to be a part of that. I think I realized in high school, stuff like life is going to be hard. I had a long time like waiting for the other shoe to drop mentality. That's where I kind of realized my mentality shift of like, I want God to be priority in my life before it gets hard because when it is like, I'm going to need that. Yeah. And so like, that's kind of where like, that was my motivation for a lot of this. And then I started helping other people do it. And I realized like it brings me so much purpose when the local church is healthy, the local church is the outlet to do here what God wants us to do. So that's, that's where I just was so convinced, like, this is what I want to do in my life. I remember saying earlier, like I used to dread, like I want to be the guy who got saved the last minute because I didn't have to do this the rest of my life. And now I'm like, I'm so thankful you guys are grinding and you're creating space and God's moving in incredible ways. You're seeing it, right? So you see the benefit in your relationship. You see the benefit in, you know, the friendships you have, you see the benefit in the lives of other people, but it's still tough when, you know, you're looking at a job going, where is it? You know, Um, especially because, you know, it wasn't just, you know, people struggle with serving, you know, a few times a month and this was five services, you know, three out of four Sundays. And, um, for both you and Holly, you know, which was, which was a lot. And you guys did that for a long time. Yeah, we did that. That was a period where, and like a lesson learned through that also for me was like, I, I definitely burned out during that time and I didn't communicate either. Like, and that's where it got some of that. I feel like the Mennonite guilt came back where it is like, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. Instead of saying like at the time, cause we were, I did get a job, but it's all the way up in Aberdeen, Maryland. Yeah. So I was living in Middle River, and then Holly and I were trying to plan a wedding. Yeah. And then I was commuting all the way down to Mosaic, and then they also had the second campus in Arundel. Commuting all the way down there on some Sundays, too, because they would want me to play there sometimes. So it, it just became, like, so, so much, and I didn't know how to communicate it, but I also felt a lot of guilt of, like, I'm growing as a Christian, so I should always be doing more. Yeah. I think if I'd gone to my leader at the time and said, my life's crazy. Can I do two Sundays a month instead of three? They would have been like, yeah, we're kind of probably been like, we're kind of waiting for you to yeah. tell us that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things we do as leaders is, you know, sometimes we do put more on people because they can carry it. You know, there's a discomfort in it at first, but once they start carrying it well, then you're like, okay, I'm going to push you again. Like, and that's what good leaders do. But there are often times when people are capable of carrying things and they're like, yeah, I can carry these heavy things, but there's also the processing you have to do emotionally on the other side. Yeah. And when you're kind of white knuckling all the balance of life and job and, and future marriage and, you know, then there's always the, you plan a wedding, but then there's the, what the heck do we do after we, we're mm-hmm. married now? Where do we live? Where do we work? You know, what do we do? Yeah. And, you know, capable people carry those things to the point of burnout when they're not willing and able to express, this is the way this makes me feel. You know, there's a lot for you guys to carry um, through that season, which eventually life changed again. Like it wasn't necessarily that it all fell apart for you guys, but the way life played out, like changes had to happen. Yeah. So I was working in Aberdeen and then like right before 
our wedding, they're up there as a contractor. They're like, hey, by the way, we're going to renew your second year contract, but we wanted this piece of equipment instead. And they're about the same price. Wow. So you actually don't have a job in about a month. And so I was like about to renew our lease up there. And so that's why I had to start job hunting. Well, life's changing. I need a new job. I got a job in Bethesda really quickly, thankfully, because one of my friends from college was like, hey, we're hiring. Yeah. Like literally that same week kind of. So like the, right before our wedding, we moved, got married, went on our honeymoon, came back, and I started my new job in Bethesda. So we kind of took it as like a, well, we moved. And we were kind of frustrated anyway, so let's just kind of blame us leaving the church on the move. Yeah. That's kind of what it was. It was like, hey, we moved. Sorry, it's too far. We want to find a church. And so I had this mentality of like, we'll just move and find a good church wherever we are. Yeah. <laughs> so like every Sunday we were trying different churches. We try and we do like, let's try three to four weeks everywhere yeah. we went. Like we learned like, oh, a really good church is rare. And so we started listening to Mosaic again. So we're watching online. That's where you came on stage. Yeah. And like, hey, I'm launching a church in Frederick. We stopped by Frederick. We're like, Frederick's pretty cool. And like on the weekends, the drive is like 25 minutes. It's really yeah. not that bad. So February 2017. Yeah, yeah, 2017. We also walked in and I was like, don't tell anyone I play piano because playing music is something that I love. But Satan did twist it at my last yeah. church at Mosaic to an area where it's like, man, this is something that I created an unhealthy habit around. Sure. And we show up at Collective, and the, there are people there from Mosaic who were helping launch it at Collective, and they recognized me. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, yeah. oh, it's Dylan. He plays piano. you got to get him in the band. Immediately. Immediately, yeah. like day one. And yeah. so I was like, all right, well, God redeemed that part of me. And like For me, like he took all this good that I had done at Crew that I felt like was wasted, and all this good that I had done at Mosaic, that I felt kind of like it was wasted. And he said, like, here at Collective, we'll take all of it, yeah. all that experience, and you can use it here completely. And yeah. so that that was like we came to the Collective and just felt like such a pool of like, this is it. Like this is where it's no longer, I don't want to say practice, but this is where it's like you can do it all. And like a Mosaic, sure. I saw all this good, and I was on the side. But at Collective, is like I never thought I would be Having a large impact on a growing sure. church. Sure. Chris and Maggie shared their story. You know, pretty quickly when Chris resigned, you know, we didn't know what to do. And Dylan, you stepped in at, you know, Collective was seven, eight weeks old. You and um, John Klein stepped in and were like, we're going to lead this thing. And it wasn't just studying worship culture at Collective. It was growing it. It was, all right, let's develop musicians. Let's pick new songs, let's, you know, so, so much of the things that people love about collective worship culture today, specifically if you're new to this church, a lot of it was like Dylan working through, like kind of healing through some of the past experiences and, and bringing that forward, which is why I think so much of our music is intentional the way it is. And so much of our music is raw and like, gritty the way that it is because it's it's a group of people that started creating this culture through a raw and gritty time of their lives realizing worship is beautiful but like we want to worship about real things about what god can do about what he's doing in the highs and in the lows and we found a group of people in Friday that said hey i need that too yep and i wouldn't change it ever i feel like god redeemed worship for me and it kind of like redeemed the things that to me felt like obligations 
the same, doing the same things, but doing it with a different mindset. So I don't burn out. This is like our community. This is our home. Yeah. And so it's like, this is what we'd want to do. Yeah. You, you guys moved here to yeah. start this church Yep. and you changed your life. You changed jobs. Both of you did. Yep. You know, it went from, Hey, I think I can be involved here to no, I'm going to start my family here. It's like, no, we're going to lean all the way in and see what God can do with those tensions. You know, the end result is what life is now, which you are a band leader, slowly transitioning out of that role, not because of burnout, but because of developing other people. You're an overseer, which means you, you know, walk with me um, as we lead this entire chaotic thing forward. You know, Holly's a leader. You know, it's just a completely different scenario than what you grew up in. Yeah. And now it's not just that you're a part of a culture, like you are creating the culture. All of those weird life experiences have brought you to this yeah. place, which is really strange. It is. Um, Never thought I'd be here, but I don't regret it. Yeah, and it's just been really great to to me, like see God redeem these different parts of me yep. and my wrong image of him. Yeah. And he still is today. Like he still continues to to do that. But like I feel like collectives in a spot where like it's really growing after a lot and a lot of grind. Yep. But like something that God's constantly shown me is like doing good, maybe at the time might seem pointless, but there will always be some reward to yeah. doing good. Yeah. And so it's like just keep keep working at it and you don't know when, but he will redeem that part of your life or use it in a way that's meaningful if you let him. Yep. I, you know, for those of you listening, one of the things I want to encourage you when you hit those seasons is like, you just keep leaning in when it's good, when it's yeah. healthy, right? If it's like a sinful thing, don't lean in. But when you know it's good, when it's biblical, when it's the, the right communities there, you lean in through those hard seasons. Cause then, you know, in 2023, you and I, you know, can take a step back and go collective online was hard and I'm not 100% sure like what blessings God is taking from that. I do know like there's certain things about collective, like I think our worship grew in that season because people realized how much they longed for it. And we came back into this building and people were singing, you know, and now it's like night and day different from West Frederick to online. So it's like, okay, maybe, maybe worship grew during that time. God was doing so many good things. It was like, what a good God. And now while we're seeing God still do so many good things, it's like, man, we're lucky because we could have not had this, but like, you don't get to see those things if you give up. You know, Dylan, one of the reasons we became so close, and we've been close for a long time, but how I knew that you were meant to be an overseer was right before COVID hit, we were trying to make a decision. Do we meet one more time at West Frederick? Do we go fully online? And I was like, we need to meet one more time because, like, I don't know how else we're going to do this. And, like, we're on, the, we're on like, a group call <laughs> yeah. with, like, a bunch of peers, essentially, and me. And you're like, you're wrong, and I don't think we should do this. But, and it wasn't just a conflict. It was you saying, but whatever you decide, we're going to make it happen. And it was like, man, what a healthy person to be able to say to, you know, their leader and specifically their neighbor and their yeah. pastor, hey, man, I think you're making the wrong call. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna support the decision you make. But once we get through this, like, then we need to wrestle with yeah. why it was the wrong call and, and why you, we're making it. And helping me realize, like, my unhealthy desire for us to meet together was control. It was the fear of if we let go, maybe this never happens again. When you, when you find that peace and you get to that place, you're like, conflict isn't as scary. Like you might not love it still, but even finding yourself in that place 
but not losing sight of the fact that like all the things that you'd gone through in your life have led you to a place where not just that you feel the presence of God, but like you are leading in a church to create that space for other people. Yeah. You've experienced a lot, but if there's one piece of advice that you could give us, what would that be? And it could be from any stage of your life, um, but, or it could be about faith in general. Like one, like God is with you when you're hurting. Like he just is. And, uh, he was really close to me in the darkest part of my life. So like when you were talking about the, um, Psalm 23 section where it's like, you want to walk through the darkest valleys, you are close beside me. It's like that close beside me part. Like I felt that I feel that to my core. Like God is very close when you're in your darkest valleys, mm-hmm. but also like the most rewarding thing, the thing that like you look back in your life and go like, man, this was really rewarding is, is helping people. And that doing good like is, is never wasted. Yeah. God will always redeem and use the good that you can do if you are willing to do it. Yeah. And and from my perspective, right, like I'm seeing how God has redeemed and blessed those things. And that's not to say that it wasn't hard, that it's not still hard, you know, yeah. but you know, from the outsider's perspective or from like a different perspective, it's like, man, like Dylan is the way Dylan is because of what he's been through and because of his ability to lean in and, and doing that in community, doing that through reading scripture, yeah. doing that through worship, you know, the things that you've put into your life intentionally that kind of help you see and get to those places, which is awesome. All right. So last question, um, if there was a Bible verse for you that you would say, this is my favorite verse. And it could be right now, you know, I'm sure, you know, if you think back to when you're 18, it was something when you're 18, yeah. when you're in college, it was something when you're in college. Um, but if there's one Bible verse, or if you have two, you can share two. Um, what's your favorite one? The thing that kind of through those seasons kind of sits kind of right in your soul. Yeah. The one for me is Galatians six, nine, don't get tired of doing good for the right time. You'll uh, reap a harvest of blessing. Yeah. So like for me, it's like God's showing me like, don't get tired of doing good. Even if at the time, like there are a lot of times like, man, all that good felt pointless. And like, I feel like right now I'm in a time where like, I'm able to see all of the good things that came from it. And so that, that one sticks out to me a lot. Cause it's, it's kind of where I'm at right now. Or like, man, like all that time I remember used to feel it was just wasted time, wasted energy. It all got used in some way now to do a lot more good than I could have without it. So that's my verse. Cool. Dylan, that's great. Dylan, thank you uh, so much for your time. Um, for those of you listening, I, I can't overstate this. If you love Collective and if this church has impacted your life, um, Dylan and Holly are a major reason why. It's weird to think that there are people who, you know, with some people, they moved here to help start this church, but my relationship with them went back to college. And with you and Holly, it was a Sunday afternoon or whatever it was at a pizza place yep. and some connection. And really, uh, I tell church planners all the time, if God's called you to plant a church, like he's put that burden on other people. And when I think about you and Holly, that that's what I think about is that we didn't have a huge relationship. We had, I remember when you walked in, I was like, I know that guy, like <laughs> didn't quite know you played the keys, but I was like, I, I definitely have seen him before. But God put this burden on you, I think all the way back when you were in high school yeah. of like, this has to be different. And this can't be, you know, just about us. It has to be more. And that burden, I think God put on you and brought you to a place where, you know, maybe church planning wasn't like, I need to plan church, but it was like, man, I need to be a part of something that seeks and saves lost people. And you walk into that random pizza place um, that afternoon. And so 
Um, for those of you listening, if you love Collective, make sure to walk up to Dylan and Holly after this podcast goes live. Give them a hug. And uh, my hope is that people, as someone who you both are so behind the scenes and, and both so humble about it, uh, my hope is that they give you a little bit of energy and tension because um, we aren't where we are and doing what we're doing and, and seeing what God's doing in this church without the space that you've helped create. Um, so Dylan, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for um, being willing to be vulnerable and, and not growing weary through everything that you've been through, man, because God has blessed it and he's going to continue to to bless it uh, in incredible ways. So yeah. thank you so much. We're only five years in. we got a long way to <laughs> Listen, if you ever want to know why we do crazy things, it's going to be Dylan because Dylan will say, hey, look at the projections and look at the numbers. Here's what's going to happen. And I'm like, all right, let's just keep going. Yep. And so, um, yeah, it's been a crazy five years, but as we know this, like the best is still ahead of us, yep. which is nuts. So... It's going to be great. <laughs> so, so good. All right, Dylan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah.